everybody. It's Allie. And welcome to our Y&R chat for Sunday, December 29th, 2019. Oh, come all ye faithful. <laughs> oh, what a gorgeous set of Christmas episodes Y&R has given to us this week. Order has been restored to the universe. Brand new episodes were aired every single day this week in the U.S., so we are back on schedule. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> We had Faith and Fen returning home for a Christmas surprise. We had like three romantic trips given as Christmas presents. And Dina cast off her crutches like she was Tiny Tim at the end of a Christmas story. Who could ask for anything more? <laughs> I am fully satisfied. <laughs> the Abbott living room halls were decked. Dina was invited over to behold its splendor at night. And can we just appreciate for one minute, please, that when she got there, every present that was underneath that big, beautiful Christmas tree was for her. Can you even imagine how glorious it would be to walk into a fabulous, upscale family Christmas party like that and every single present in sight is for you and only you? Oh, how special she must have felt in those moments, uh, you know, not, not just the present. She was she was surrounded more importantly by by the the gifts of love and support and you know, forgiveness in in a lot of ways. She loved it. She was glowing. I loved Dina in those scenes. And Jack mentioned offhand how perfect the evening had gone. The only thing that could have made it better would have been if he would have had arranged for some Christmas carolers to stop by at the door. So Tracy overhears this, and being the brilliant woman that she is, she opens her mouth and she begins to sing. How long has it even been since we've heard Tracy sing? I I I think it's been probably since the days that she would perform on stage with Danny Romolotti, right? It's been so long. What a beautiful singing voice she has. And it is so bold to just break out into a song a cappella like that out of the blue. Oh, but the timing was perfect. I don't have any personal experience with Alzheimer's disease. I saw a piece on 60 Minutes about it a few years back on CBS, and one of the most memorable takeaways from the piece for me was the fact that it is our earliest memories that become some of the strongest and the most 
deeply rooted. They had done a profile on an Alzheimer's patient who was deeply affected at this point. She was no longer able to remember or recognize her family or even function in her daily life at all. But they could play an old album that was one of her favorites as a girl. And she knew all of the songs by heart. And it's so true because, I mean, I think you could even relate it to your own life. Have you ever heard an old song or a poem and been surprised with yourself for remembering every word so well? Have you ever had that startling moment of, wow, I can't even believe I still remember this song, even though you haven't heard it in ages? And Christmas carols are usually something that we learn as a child. (sighs) So... When Dina stood up from her chair, opened her mouth, and started singing, O come all ye faithful, with perfect recollection. Oh, my friends, it was as good as a bona fide Christmas miracle. Michael and Lauren get my Sexiest Christmas Couple of 2019 award. (laughs) Oh, Lauren in her gorgeous red dress. I mean, red has got to be her very best color. And she had on a silver sequin jacket over the top of it. It was great. But when I saw... Michael, (laughs) wearing his slicked back hair and bow tie, I thought I was putting on the Ritz. (laughs) I was ready to go where fashion sits or fits or whatever it is. (laughs) Oh, they were great. You know I love Michael and Lauren, and they were so thrilled to see Fenn back home. For an episode, I mean a day. (laughs) Really, all in all, what a really nicely written one episode part for Fenn. He described how the pressures and the lifestyle of being a touring musician had caused him to fall back into his old drug habits. He said that he had checked himself into a 60-day rehab. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Y&R made sure to mention that. 60 days, plus a few extra. (laughs) Just to make sure that he was ready to assimilate. <laughs> well done, YNR. Way to sweep up the fact that you made Finn relapse off screen over the summer and then never said another word about it. 60 day rehab. My eye. It was July. I looked it up, and you damn well never had any plans of bringing him back to talk about it. until we got fed up with you mentioning off-screen characters left and right and never producing them. But I forgive you, Josh. (laughs) In the spirit of Christmas, I forgive you. (laughs) 
<laughs> it was a good save overall. You know, Fen talked about his experience being in the halfway house and and in the rehab and in general about his recovery struggles. Fen maybe even might have influenced another one of our Genoa City recovering addicts to resist the urge to relapse for now. And Fen gave Lauren and Michael that beautiful gift that um, looked like a maybe a vintage compass. He was telling his parents how they've helped him, how they helped save his life. They're, in a way, his moral compass. I don't know. I think maybe Fen should be thanking Adam for saving his life. Adam was the one who obtained the photos of Fen dealing drugs. Adam was the one who showed them to Michael as a blackmail attempt. So where's Adam's Christmas gift from Fen? Where's Adam's compass? You know that Jack has officially become the grandfather of the show <laughs> when he's reading The Night Before Christmas. That is such a grandpa rite of passage. <laughs> grandpa Jack. Only Jack doesn't have any actual grandchildren that we know of yet. <laughs> Soon enough, Lola and Theo will have their love child, and Jack can finally be a grandfather. <laughs> well, Jack and Tracy felt that Theo might be too intimidated to attend the full Abbott family Christmas, which was not at the Abbott house this year. It was at Society. I guess that dining room set is just not in the floor plans of possibility right now. Okay. Lola did nudge and guilt trip Kyle enough to get him to offer um, a, a personal invite to Theo to that Christmas Eve dinner at Society, especially after Lola revealed that she has a texting relationship with Theo. Mm-hmm. But Jack said, no, 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 let's not pressure him. We already saw him. They had invited Theo to a pre-Christmas private party. Um, Jack and Tracy wanted to share their traditions with him. Oh, and I just loved, by the way, when Theo got up and walked around and stepped over to that big Abbott Christmas tree and was looking at all of the beautiful ornaments and Tracy was explaining where they all came from. And one of them was a beautiful Italian glass Murano um, uh, ornament from Italy. And, oh, I tell you, I love, uh, I, I don't know, ever know how to say it, but Murano glass. I actually have a few pieces of that myself, which I'm looking at right now. It's beautiful, beautiful glass. I don't have any Christmas tree ornaments, but I was thinking to myself in that moment, ah, oh, it's beautiful that Weiner is tying in this idea of family and how we have all of these little ornaments, just these little pieces that remind us of years past and things past. And we also saw that funky felt Jackie ornament that Jack made as a child that Jackie 
and Dina shared a moment over last year. I think it was last year at this time when uh, they were standing at the tree looking at that ornament. And I think that's when Dina told Jack that she was going to become difficult for him. But she wanted him to always remember that she loved him. So uh, that, that... ornament even though they didn't show a flashback or anything like that it really was very symbolic for the week in YNR uh, overall so I loved seeing that again and Theo got to share his tradition too we got to see Theo in his oily balls <laughs> oh my goodness what a riot <laughs> oily bowling translates as oily balls I'll eat some of your oily balls Theo <laughs> Just plop two of those suckers right down on a plate here for me. Thanks. <laughs> that was fun. I mean, I like having a sense that Theo had this whole other life before he came to Genoa City and we started to get to know him. I think that's really important. YNR didn't just plop Theo into the family and forget about his past. I think that's a really, really good move for character building. Jack and Tracy hand Theo a copy of the Abbott family memoir, although this is not to be confused with the advanced copy of Stolen Locket's Broken Hearts that Tracy passed out to everyone at the Society Christmas Eve family party. (laughs) I wonder if Tracy's best of friends, Kane, got a copy of that book. I doubt it. (laughs) Just best of friends. We're just going to be the best of friends forever. I totally based this book on you. And then just turned you away coldly into the street, refusing your romantic advances and forcing you off the show forever. (laughs) Oh... Poor Kane is somewhere right now eating his Christmas dinner alone on a TV tray. Ugh. (laughs) I can barely stand to think of it. Well, back to Theo. For now, Theo just got the family memoir. (laughs) No mystery novel, just the family memoir. Because the Abbots are his family now. And yes... I know, he's not technically an abbot. I know it. You know it. The writers know it. I've been hearing nothing but complaints about this. (laughs) And I agree with you, in principle. You know, we all know Theo's not an abbot. But for the sake of brevity... We have got to let this go, people. Otherwise, we're just going to be complaining about it every single week. I I think I understand why. I don't think it's out of negligence. I think it's just easier, for, from the writer's point of view, for the new and casual viewers to get the gist of these complex family spiderwebs that all have affairs and adoptions and four different last names, it's just easier to call Theo an Abbott. I mean, his connection to the Abbott family is through Dina Mergeron. But Dina Mergeron isn't on the show regularly. 
So calling him a Margeron is what would quickly connect him to her in the viewer's mind, but he's not really a Margeron either. I mean, that's Dina's married name. So, I mean, you can go ahead and call him a Brooks, but anyone who didn't watch the show in the 70s is not going to get it. You know, and, and if you start drawing these lines between, okay, well, who's truly part of what fa- family? I mean, family's family. I feel like John Abbott, if asked, would say, yes, welcome him into the Abbott family. No, I didn't know him. No, he's not a, a direct descendant of mine, but he's family because he's there. He's family because he's been accepted as family. I mean, just because someone's adopted, does that make them not family? What about Ashley? And it's the same thing. Also, I mean, we we call every single person who's connected to Catherine a chancellor. They're all part of the chancellor family. When Philip Chancellor was only one of Catherine's husbands. (laughs) And there are only actually two chancellor descendants. Philip and, uh, Philip two and, let's see, it would be Philip three and four. Philip and Chance. So, look. <laughs> look, you guys. We're calling Theo an Abbott so that we can call it a day. Theo isn't technically Abbott family, but he is Jack Abbott family. When we're calling Theo an Abbott, I did it last week. They did it on the show this week. When we're calling Theo an Abbott, what we're really saying is Theo is related to Jack Abbott. And therefore, Theo is a cousin of Kyle Abbott. That is what is important to the story. Kyle and Lola are perfect. The end. There's just nothing more to say. They're just perfect. I adore their homey little apartment. Although, why did they have to halt the house hunt? They realized that they didn't want the same kind of house. But maybe things have changed now? I mean, they've come a long way Since last year at this time, poor Kyle will never live down (laughs) the expensive purse scandal. (laughs) I am really glad that he mentioned that. It needed to be brought back up because it also shows how Kyle and Lola's relationship has evolved and how their individual characters have evolved. And this year, we saw them giving each other much more meager gifts. (laughs) Just two romantic whisk-away vacation trips. (laughs) Either one of those vacations were probably more expensive than that purse was. But okay! (laughs) I was just delighted to see them playing Happy Homemakers. Kyle trying to drag that enormous tree through the door while Lola, of course, had her fresh baked cookies in the oven. Lola was literally baking cookies at the exact same time that I was. The episode of Lola baking the Christmas tree and the cookies, that was airing the exact moment I was making my Martha Stewart chocolate chip gingerbread cookies, which were to die for. Basically, my favorite thing that I made. I've been sneaking them. I had leftovers that I did not give away, and I've been sneaking them. 
<laughs> so that the world cannot see my delicious, delicious shame. <laughs> Kyle and Lola just at home, just being themselves. It gives me all kinds of Christmas warmth. I was remembering my first Christmases out on my own. It was just so, so cozy. Jack and Celeste had gifted them an ornament to commemorate their first Christmas as a married couple. I loved Y&R tying in the ornaments. Everyone has their own different Christmas traditions, and of course, I'm always focused on the food. (laughs) But the truth is, the ornaments are very important, too. I mean, they're they're the mementos of the years past. You're kind of building up your collection of memories and putting them away for a year and then getting them out and looking at them and remembering all of these different wonderful moments that you share as a family. And for Kyle and Lola, they're new in their marriage. They're just starting out. And so this particular ornament is just the beginning of their memories together. Ugh. It was great. Those scenes totally sold me on Kyle and Lola all over again. I never want them to break up. (laughs) They're just too cute. And you know, I love the drama and it was nice to see Kyle texting Summer on her birthday. It was very thoughtful. But I want Kyle to remember who frosts his cookies at home. Summer's suspicion of Theo is growing. Theo is working at Jabot every day, and he is spending every night at Society, where Lola works. And it dawns on Summer this week. Wait a minute. (laughs) Theo seems to want everything that Kyle has, including his wife. Well, Theo insists that he and Lola are just friends. Theo and Lola have a creative drive in common. She seems to appreciate his out-of-the-box ideas for Jabot. And he seems to appreciate her cooking creativity. I think it seems like they have become friends. On Christmas Eve, there was an interesting little moment um, where, maybe it was before Christmas Eve, I don't remember. There was many Christmas Eve Eves, and since the schedules have been off, my perception of what was Christmas Eve versus Christmas Day is off. But uh, Kyle was sitting around with Lola, eating some cookies, and he found himself kind of ragging on Theo, just like going into his Theo rant. And Lola says, why are we talking about Theo right now? And then Kyle gets up to get some milk for the cookies, and she gets a text from Theo. He has sent her a photo of himself enjoying some more of her food, and she is delighted by this. I think she's probably flattered by the fact that he loves her food. And she picks up her phone to read the message and then to respond to it. She actually goes to write the response and then realizes, oh yeah, you know, I it would be hypocritical of me to be texting with Theo after I just told Kyle that we should be focused on each other. 
I shouldn't be talking about or with Theo right now. She pulled herself back. And she admitted uh, to Kyle on, I guess that was Christmas Eve, the Christmas Eve at society dinner, that she has been texting with Theo. Hey, at least she wasn't texting Theo the definition of friendship. (sighs) If the person is your actual friend, you don't have to hide it. And you don't have to lie about it or skirt around about it to your spouse. Or define it even. Yeah, Theo was just kind of quietly trying to dodge that Christmas gathering with the Abbots by spending time at the office. Summer bumps into him there. And she deduces that what Theo is really avoiding by being at the office on Christmas and everything is being around Kyle and Lola. Being all lovey-dovey with each other on their first Christmas as husband and wife. He denies that, of course. But I thought it was clever how he tossed that ball right back into her court by saying, well, maybe you want there to be something going on with me and Lola so that you can have a reason to be with Kyle. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the truth on both sides. I think both Theo and Summer are patiently (laughs) waiting in the wings, working on marketing plans, while waiting for something to happen that will break Kyle and Lola up. As much as I enjoyed Phyllis and Summer's 2018 rivalry, I really enjoyed that they were able to end the year 2019 with some nice mommy-daughter time. I liked that even more than the rivalry, maybe. Phyllis was helping Summer celebrate her birth day. And by her, I mean Phyllis. (laughs) Phyllis was remembering giving birth to Summer, her birthday, (laughs) making it all about her, as she is oft to do. I loved that flashback at the top of Monday's episode. Phyllis was giving birth to Summer in the elevator as Jack delivers the baby. I thought that was a great tag up on Jack's 30th anniversary episode. That moment was bittersweet because, as we were reminded in Jack's episode, Jack was in love with Phyllis. They wanted a child together. They tried to have a child together, but then Phyllis had the affair with Nick. Phyllis became pregnant. And on that day in the elevator, they were trapped in like an ice storm or something. And Phyllis delivered that baby into Jack's arms, into her ex's arms. I mean, that moment. Ooh. Jack had this one brief little time of looking at that child that wasn't his. Like, he probably had a moment of, like, imagining that it was. And then he handed Summer right over to her mother and to Nick forever. Except for that tiny little brief moment where we thought Jack might actually be her father. (laughs) And that Kyle and Summer might be related. But nah, that didn't pan out. (laughs) Who knew? 
Who knew that Michelle Stafford would come back and then we'd actually get to relive that scene? Who knew that Michelle Stafford and Hunter King would have uh, just such a good natural mother-daughter chemistry together? I, I don't know. I felt like Phyllis and Summer had all of the right emotions in that moment complicated as they may be. I mean, you love a little, you hate a little, you argue, you cry, you hug. I mean, there's a lot that was going on in that scene, um, even in a subtext. I also loved that even though Phyllis is officially unemployed, (laughs) she's not hurting so much that she can't fly in a cupcake from that bakery that Summer likes in Paris. I'm surprised that jolly old St. Victor didn't have a few reindeer flown in to the ranch this Christmas. (laughs) He was ready to go all out. I mean, did you see that big old punch bowl of eggnog at the Newman Ranch? (laughs) And that three-tiered tray of cookies? Yeah. That's the party I want to go to. The one with the better food. (laughs) Although, I don't know. The cake or whatever dessert they had at Society after the Abbott uh, Christmas dinner looked pretty good, too. (laughs) Seemed like there was some chocolate and vanilla action going on there. Yeah, seeing Victor not only as just the leader of the Newman family, in the same way that we're seeing Jack as the leader of the Abbott family, seeing Victor as the romantic lead of the show, playing Nikki's favorite Christmas song for a Christmas dance, it's been a long time coming. At this point, I don't need to see Victor pushing the plot. In these later years, I just want to see him lavishing love and attention, and lavish Christmas gifts onto Nikki. I want to see Victor being a wise elder to his children and his grandchildren and his community. I want to get a sense of Victor as a philanthropist, doing some good with his billions. Victor mentioned at the event, how proud he was of Nick and Nick's New Hope project. Well, how's about shilling out a few coins and announcing a big Christmas donation to New Hope or something? We're getting close, but we got a little ways to go. I couldn't help but notice Nikki and Victor together. Billy and Victoria together. And Nick, sitting there alone at that party. You want to know why? Because Nick's girlfriend is imaginary. (laughs) After that party, Nick goes to the Grand Phoenix to find Chelsea. And he runs into Phyllis instead, wrapping gifts in the middle of the hotel lounge with her shoes kicked off under the table. Ew, bare feet in public? At a classy hotel? She said so herself in a later scene. She does not have personal boundaries, and I would agree with that. (laughs) She's got some nerve. When uh, Nick asked Phyllis, have you seen Chelsea? She said, have you checked Adams? (laughs) 
Ouch. The truth hurts, I guess. But, you know, I mean, the honesty that Nick and Phyllis and, are kind of having and the jokiness and that rapport is very refreshing. I forgot Nick and Phyllis were together at the end of 2018. They broke up in 2019 and kind of looks like they're about to get back together again. I don't know. I mean, he invited her to spend Christmas with the Newmans. I find it hard to believe that Phyllis would want to spend Christmas under Victor's roof, or even in Victor's orbit at all. But, I don't know, then again, that Christmas gathering was about to be a powder keg one way or another, because Chelsea asks Nick if Adam can come to Christmas too. Would you mind if my other boyfriend comes to the party? <laughs> No, I'm only kidding. It makes sense. I mean, hey, the only way that Chelsea could really pull off spending a Christmas with Nick was if Connor came. And if Connor was going to come, then Adam was going to have to come too. <laughs> but the look on Nick's face when he realized that he just agreed to spend Christmas with Adam. <laughs> it was like, what have I done? I have a feeling... That Newman family Christmas gathering is never going to happen because on Christmas Eve, Chelsea's hanging out by the copper and bronze Christmas tree with Adam. Oh, <laughs> follow up from last week. I was getting a better look at Adam's copper and bronze Christmas tree this week. It had feathers sticking out of it. Feathers! <laughs> On a Christmas tree. Watch out, that thing might fly away. <laughs> oh, um. Well, Chelsea assumes that Adam will be perfectly fine to spend Christmas with the Newmans. But actually, Adam had another plan in mind. He wants to take Connor and, yes, Chelsea to his mother's farm in Kansas so that they can share an unforgettable Christmas together in the place where he grew up and where he and Chelsea were married. Chelsea's was, her reaction was to wonder whether he came up with this idea because this is what he really wants or because he's cooking up some kind of scheme. And then Adam's response was, hey, is it that you don't want to go because you're afraid of the feelings that might come back up? Because I still love you and you still love me. That's what I think, Chelsea. Yeah, she was flabbergasted. I really don't think she saw that confession of love coming, and it clearly threw her off. She was immediately thinking about getting out of there. It was too close for comfort. She wanted to rethink the living situation now and not come back. It was too close for her. But, you know, Adam, he launches into his pitch. It was very similar to the pitch that he was launching into with Sharon when Sharon was supposed to be the love of his life a couple of months ago. But I'm willing to let that go for my sanity. Sometimes we have to. 
But you know he's gonna drive this point into the ground. He like hara- he was trying to harass Sharon into a relationship. He's probably gonna do the same thing with Chelsea. He's gonna be like at her and at her and at her. Like, you love me, I love you, you want this, you want this. <laughs> he did make a really interesting point though, and I wonder if it's true. Chelsea was insisting that, no, she loves Nick. She doesn't love Adam. She loves Nick. Nick is the one she loves. Nick, Nick, Nick. And Adam says, well, Nick is safe. You want and love Nick because he's the safe choice. Nick can't break your heart because Nick doesn't have it. Oh, oh. Ooh, good moment. Yeah, right? Right, though? I mean, I'm not quite so sure that Adam entirely has her heart, either. I don't know, I haven't been getting love vibes from Chelsea toward Adam. I mean, I've at least been getting love and affection and (laughs) sex vibes between Chelsea and Nick. Last week, I asked you chatters Nick and Chelsea or Adam and Chelsea pick one couple or die (laughs) pick one or die well can you believe it 77% of you said Nick and Chelsea only 23% feeling the Adam and Chelsea heat here. I mean, Adam and Chelsea were the early favorite, honestly. Like, all through Sunday, it was definitely swayed more toward Adam and Chelsea. And it just seemed like throughout the week, the Nick and Chelsea fans came out in droves. I mean, with time, I could see Adam and Chelsea building back up the chemistry, absolutely. But, I don't know, right now, I'm not really feeling the heat there either. I'm feeling more heat with Nick and Chelsea. Uh, yeah, and, and, you know, also, there's the heat that's coming out of Nick's skull right now after Phyllis told him about Adam's indecent proposal. Phyllis wasn't gonna tell him. I'll give her points for trying to keep it quiet. But after she found out that Adam was invited to the Christmas gathering too, she tried to get out of it and she tried to skirt around the reason. But Nick kept asking her why she didn't want to come all of a sudden, and rather than lying to Nick, she told him the truth. I don't want to sing Christmas carols around the tree with Adam after he asked me to seduce you away from Chelsea. (sighs) Poor Nick. He looked so confused in that moment. I could almost hear his internal dialogue. Wait, wait a minute. Nick offended. But Nick likes sex. Nick likes sex with Chelsea and Phyllis. Nick's so confused. Nick wants sex with Chelsea and Phyllis. But Adam bad. Adam bad, so Nick have extra sex with Chelsea now. Yes, that's the plan. Oh, Lord, I love Nick, but he isn't very bright, and he really likes sex. I mean, you know, he got a hand it to Adam. He knew what to weaponize. He knew the secret, the kryptonite. He knows Nick's kryptonite. Everybody knows Nick's kryptonite. It's sex. And he tried to get Phyllis to help him out with that. 
<laughs> but it didn't work. And now Nick knows all about it. So Nick vows to use this info against Adam and to win this time. Are Billy and Amanda about to have a full-fledged affair? And I mean with sex and everything? That is our poll question for this week, YNR Chatters. <sighs> Are we on the verge of a full-fledged affair here? YRChat.com, that's the poll question of the week. I think so. Billy couldn't even sit still during Victor's eggnog and cookie party at the ranch. He was off texting with Amanda behind Victoria's back. And Billy keeps pushing forth this internal narrative that the reason he's not opening up to anyone is because they wouldn't understand. They don't really want to hear the dirty details about his insecurities and his issues and his fears. But that is so not true. Billy has so many people that he can talk to. Other than Amanda. I thought it was interesting that Jack asked Billy if he was still seeing his therapist. And Billy said, oh, well, she's off on holiday. And I didn't really get along with the replacement. But he's talking to someone. I'm talking to someone. Meaning, Amanda. Is that your idea of therapy when your therapist is gone? Talking to Amanda over drinks and cards? Whoa! One, you know, I know that Billy feels like he's got this Hawkeye on him, but it's because it's deserved. Why not just talk to Jack? There's no issue that Billy could bring up that Jack couldn't help him with. Some of this stuff Jack has been through. Addiction. He's been there. Family identity, like the feelings of not living up to being an abbot. Jack's been there. Career pressure. Jack's been there. Marriage. Failing. Jack's been there. Jack would be the perfect person to talk to. Or fine. Fine. He thinks Jack's too close to the situation, maybe. I thought that Billy's brief conversation with Phyllis was very, very good. Phyllis cares about him. She knows the ups and downs. She's been with him through many. You know, Phyllis wants to see Billy succeed, but she also doesn't pull any punches with him. She tells him the truth as she sees it, and that is a good friend. Instead, though, Billy would rather rot away secretly in this bar. Dancing around the poker table. Well, just one hand of cards can't hurt. See, I can handle it. I'm still in control. Those are the words of a man who is on the verge of losing control. Hours before Billy and Victoria and the kids are getting ready to leave for their trip... 
Billy and Victoria are sitting at the Grand Phoenix Hotel, relaxing and having a drink. By the way, why in our chatter? Keisha, now that you've mentioned it, I can't unsee it. Victoria is always drinking wine. If she is not at the office, she is either at home or at the bar drinking. Keisha, you mentioned this like two weeks ago, and I meant to mention it last week, but now I can't unsee it. I really think you're on to something. We might be headed into a Victoria alcoholism story, especially when she finds out about how Billy's about to cheat on her. Oh, she could turn to the bottle, just like her mother. Oh, prediction, prediction. But Billy and Victoria at the Grand Phoenix, enjoying a few quiet moments together. And who should walk through the door? But Amanda. After all, she lives there. <laughs> Amanda bumped into Phyllis this week and, like, literally bumped into her, and a bunch of papers went flying on the floor, and Phyllis got nosy with them and mentioned that it looked like Amanda was out looking for apartments. Why doesn't she just stay here instead, where she can bump uncomfortably into Billy and Victoria some more? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure Amanda's going to stay. Phyllis has set the reasoning for Amanda continuing to stay at the hotel long term. It's got everything. Phyllis and Amanda are going to make the most amazing friends, though. I like them being buddies very, very much. Ugh. When Amanda walked through the door and saw Billy and Victoria sitting there, there was this moment between Billy and Amanda, like, should we acknowledge each other? Like, I'm sure Amanda's thinking, should I turn around and walk in the other direction? But there was, like, this unspoken, I think, understanding between them that, like, in order to be friends and in order to have just a friendship be true then there's no reason why they shouldn't act like they know each other. There's no reason they shouldn't socialize in public. If they were to turn around and run in the other directions, then that would almost imply that they're doing something wrong. We don't want that. We've already established that there's nothing wrong going on here. No. So Amanda walks up to Billy and Victoria. Maturely. Honestly, I was pleased because it was on... Uh, Amanda to make that decision if she would have turned around and walked away that would have been on her and it would have said a lot about her but no she faced it she walked right up to Billy and Victoria she introduces herself to clueless Victoria and clueless Victoria says to Billy oh do you two know each other cut to commercial cut to Back from commercial, Phyllis is butting into the scene. <clears throat> Phyllis and your personal boundaries. <sighs> I can't help but wonder how that conversation between Billy and uh, Victoria and Amanda, I want to know how that would have gone if Phyllis hadn't inserted herself. I would have really loved to have seen what Billy would have said in that instance without the icebreaker of Phyllis being around, trying to pull Amanda away. Would he have been honest? What would he have said? He did manage to pull together 
a loose explanation of having seen Amanda before and having mentioned her resemblance to Hillary, blah, 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 blah. But at the end of the day, he wasn't fully honest. He didn't say how much he's been seeing her, and yes, we're friends, and yes, we hang out sometimes. I didn't just bump into her one time and make a comment about Hillary. We hang out sometimes. This is a lie of omission. On Billy's part, there is a lie between Billy and his wife that's on him. On the day of their trip... The big trip that Victoria has put all this effort into planning. The jet is fueled up. The bags are packed. The kids are practically packed. Victoria is excited about leaving. Did you see her face? I mean, she was practically bouncing up and down. She was giddy the way that Victoria never is. She's so happy. And then Billy gets a phone call from his new job saying he has to do some work to fix the merger deal that he's been working on. I swear to you at this point in the story, I still didn't believe that the job was real. I thought he was cooking up some kind of scheme to get out of going on that trip so that he could stay in town and hang out with Amanda. That's how little I trust him at this point. He tells Victoria to go ahead with the kids. He'll take care of a of the deal tonight and then he'll meet her and tell you ride tomorrow. So he spends the night in Genoa City making like two phone calls. Why couldn't the phone calls have been made from Telluride? If it's a telecommuting job, then why couldn't he have telecommuted from Telluride? I don't trust him. I think he was happy to have the excuse to stay home. I think he was looking for it. He was texting with Amanda the minute he had some downtime. If Jack hadn't pulled him over to the Abbott Christmas dinner at Society, he would have been out having Thai food and playing cards with her that night. He was perfectly well willing to go sit with her in his downtime, but he threw up so much resistance. Oh, I can't. I got so much work. I can't go to the Abbott family thing. Mm. He kind of needed to go. At At that Abbott party, he did have an interaction with Fenn, and that seemed to enlighten him. Fenn was talking about his addiction and his process of recovery and it really seemed to shake Billy to realize that some of the patterns that Fenn was talking about were very familiar and were very applicable to him. By the end of the episode we saw Billy Doing the right thing, choosing not to return Amanda's text, and instead sitting there alone at the house at night playing cards by himself. Okay, good. I'm, I, I, I think the affair is going to happen. But, like, the thing is, Amanda only knows what Billy has told her. Amanda doesn't know what Billy has told his wife, really. And Amanda doesn't know that 
Billy's a recovering gambling addict. Like, I can't blame her for participating in his vice when she doesn't know about it. It's Billy's responsibility to manage his own impulses. And although I I am glad that he was able to pull himself back this one time, it's still only one time. I think Billy is already walking down a dangerous path And he's got some miles to go. I do wonder if Amanda is fooling herself about her intentions for Billy. (sighs) I wonder if she's attracted to him, but she's trying to fight it because obviously he's married and obviously she has some kind of bad relationship juju in the past. Who knows? Maybe it even had something to do with an affair. I don't know. I don't know Amanda. I don't know anything about Amanda. She sort of did the same let's flirt but say we're friends thing with Nate. But now Nate and Amanda are so over. (laughs) They are over before it ever even began. (laughs) Nick showed up, or Nate, sorry. Showed up at the Grand Phoenix. Bumped into her. He was looking very dapper in his three-piece suit, by the way. I love a vest. I just love when a guy's wearing, like, you know, a full three-piece suit, but the jacket is off and you can just see the vest, and the vest has sort of an interesting silky pattern on the back of it. I love it. Nate is looking hotter and hotter every week. And Nate and Amanda share a friendly game. Of backgammon. That's sort of a friendly thing. An actual friendly thing to do. A game. Sitting, talking. In public. In the open. Not underground. In a place where no one knows you. Or can see you. Or can tell anyone where you're at. That's really more of a friendly thing. (laughs) I have no idea how to play backgammon. Is that what it was called? I've seen the board before, but I've never played it. Do we have any backgammon players in the house? That sounds like the thing. What's the other thing? Or is it back around? What's the, I don't know. It sounds like the thing that you use with the tennis racket. Isn't that bad? I don't know. I don't know what this is. But it was a nice visual touch, whatever the game was. It could have been, maybe just they needed to dumb it down for me. If it would have been checkers, I'd have been like, oh, all right, okay. I kind of remember how to play checkers. I'm in. I'm not high class enough for the Grand Phoenix. (laughs) Uno, man, get me in on a game of Uno. (laughs) I never lose. (laughs) But Nate, you know, was chatting her up and he was asking Amanda about her Christmas plans and also about the other friends that she's made in Genoa City, both female, but specifically male. And she skirts the issue, similar to how Billy was skirting the issue with Victoria. But there was something in Amanda's eye. It was a little bit of a twinkle, like she was sitting there with Nate, but all the while still thinking about how she'd like to bump into Billy. I kind of sort of got the same vibe from her conversation with Phyllis. Phyllis was trying to pry Amanda open about the men in her life, and then Amanda mentioned that she hasn't been buying any of her own drinks lately. 
for some reason, the revelation that Billy has been buying her drinks now, too? That really, really bugs me. Friends buy their own drinks. Or they trade off on buying the drinks. Anybody who is buying all of the drinks for you wants something from you. This was Devon's first Christmas without Neil. And also, yes, Jack made a beautiful toast on Christmas Eve to those who can't be with us. Specifically, he was referencing Dina and Neil. Oh, I wonder if on some level... Devon was looking for a little bit of an escape from a Christmas in Genoa City. I mean, it's hard enough to go through the motions of a holiday as if it was the same world as it was before. And you realize it's just it's just not the same. You can't do the same things you, you always do, your same traditions, when a major component of it is gone. Hey, by the way, I almost forgot to mention, I saw CBS did like a year in review dedication piece. Um, I think it was on maybe one of the early shows, one of the things that came on before Price is Right. And they did include Christoph St. John, a title card for him having passed, along with many other people who have passed this year. My goodness. Ugh. But yeah, I do kind of wonder if Devon was wanting to get out of town. He surprised Elena with a Christmas trip to London to make all of her dreams come true. She's always wanted to go to London and he's going to whisk her away there. And I am not complaining. I love a romantic Christmas surprise trip. (laughs) Oh, but she said to Devon, do you think that you can forget about Amanda for long enough to take this trip? I don't know, honey. That's going to be pretty hard. Forgetting about my dead wife's beautiful, long-lost twin sister. But I'll try. How perceptive of Ashley to pick right up on Abby's feelings for chance. (laughs) Ashley looked great. By the way, her hair was darker a little bit. I like it a lot. It was it just like the the slightly darker shade of blonde really went well with her skin tone. It was a nice cut. It was weird the last time we saw Ashley's hair. So thank goodness her hair is back in a good place. She looked great in that gorgeous red dress like a beautiful Christmas present with a fabulous red bow. <laughs> I think it had a bow. It was perfect and wonderful. And apparently, Ashley also bought that gorgeous, silky, bright pink dress for Abby. Had it hanging in her Grand Phoenix suite as a Christmas surprise fashion gift from France. Oh, gorgeous, stunning Abby. Oh, in that same spirit, I was, I was at, uh, Ashley, yeah, she brought a gift to Dina from Paris, and we never found out what was in the box. 
<laughs> Ashley brought gifts. She brought Ash or she brought Abby a beautiful dress and brought Dina a, a box that was a gift from Paris, but we don't know what was in it. I guess it doesn't matter. That moment was more about Dina remembering that she loves Paris, but I'm still really curious to know what was inside of that beautifully wrapped box. We had cut to commercial and then moved on from it when we came back. Maybe it was a box of chocolate, like how Tracy had set out a box of chocolates on Ashley's pillow when she arrived at the Abbott home. Ugh, I love that touch. These Abbots are so fully fleshed out right now. What a kudos belongs to our new writers for that. Mm. I wonder how long it will be before... Abby introduces Chance to the Abbots as her official new beau. I mean, you know they will be kissing at midnight on the New Year's Eve show. <laughs> Chance sure is making plans to stay around, isn't he? Chance was meeting with Paul for tips this week on how he's going to leave the fast-paced world of the FBI undercover work he's been doing for a simpler, steadier, a little sexier life <laughs> with Abby, uh, becoming a private investigator instead. Great! I love it. Jance would make a great private investigator. You know who else would have made a great private investigator? Kane! Kane was a fantasy private investigator in Tracy's novel, Stolen Lockets, Broken Hearts. He did a great job of filling that role. Kane could have gotten some training. He could have become Genoa City's new private eye. And Kane could have had the affair with Abby. No, 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 no. Wait, I forgot. I forgot, you guys. YNR did everything they could do to keep Kane. It's just that without Neil and Lily, there simply is no Kane. Okay, okay, okay then. Okay. Got it, got it, got it. I forget, but now I got it. <laughs> I'm going to let it go eventually, but it ain't today. <laughs> I'm still in mourning, and I need a little bit more time. How much you want to bet that Chance's first official case will be financed by Devon to uncover more about Amanda's past? YNR will probably even find a way to connect in Chance and Adam's Vegas escapades. They'll connect that into Ripley Turner and then into Amanda and then maybe even back into the fake Will scandal. These guys, these writers, they love throwing a bunch of stuff at the wall and then four months down the line, finding a loose way to connect it, pretending like that was the plan all along. <laughs> and that probably is what they're going to do with the Adam and Chance Vegas secret. Uh, I don't even know what to say about that story. We just got a bunch of loose threads and none of it, to me, is substantial or intriguing. It's a duffel bag and a gun, and this week we learned that Adam's paying for some woman's silence. Well, it's all off-screen, in-the-past action that I can't connect to. 
it's all off screen and it's all in the past and I got no clues, no nothing. I got no ideas. I got no predictions. We're weeks and even months at this point into this teaser of the connection between Chance and Adam. And I have nothing still to sink my teeth into. The best that I can hope for is that Phyllis somehow figures out what's going on so that she can finally put this one out of its misery. My Christmas present from Y&R was that ridiculous scene between Paul and Michael. (laughs) They made a big old ruckus in the middle of the restaurant. If it were any two other characters on the show, I would have been so annoyed. They were fighting and yelling and bickering, and it was so loud. And it was overflowing into Adam and Chance's serious conversation. It was a comedic scene between Michael and Paul that was overflowing into a serious scene with Adam and Chelsea, or, sorry, Adam and Chance. I am not a fan of that technique. This is the second time we've seen it. It's too jarring tonally. It pulls the focus from the center scene. I don't like that. But I'm going to let it go because Paul and Michael were adorable. Actually, I think that Christine and Lauren were more adorable. Ordering up a big old plate of extra spicy hot nachos just to get Michael and Paul to close their mouths and stop arguing. (laughs) It was cute. And you know what? Doug Davidson was surprisingly good in those scenes. He had some really strong comedic delivery there. I think I was surprised because it's not, he's not normally given comedic material, but he did great with it. He was funny. Hey, you know, I completely forgot that Christine had stepped down as district attorney so that Michael could have that job. She was ready to start the next chapter of her life, and then we didn't really hear anything more about her. Looks like she doesn't have any plans yet, I guess. But she said she's working on finding some new path, some new thing that will make her tick. Hmm. Hmm. Maybe Christine should head on over to the dive bar. I hear that's a great place for figuring out who you are, what you want, and what to do with your life. I can't forget to mention Michael, though, because Michael was really good in those scenes. It, Christian LeBlanc is always funny, always a laugh. And Michael was like the heart of Paul and Michael's argument was also about a, 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 ma- a legal matter. Michael's district attorney, Paul's chief of police. And Michael was dressed up like a total politician, too. Did you see this? We were talking a few weeks ago about how men's fashion choices are so bland and so boring. And Michael really stepped it up. He was breaking the mold that day. He was wearing a red and white vertical striped dress shirt with a solid, bright, white, bold collar. And then a red tie and and an American flag blue jacket over top of it all. Oh my goodness. It is not often that I have to stop to comment on men's fashion. But he was notable. (laughs) 
He was, especially, he was so, um, he was so USA, like, so, so patriotic. And then he was next to Lauren in her kind of leopard print dress. <laughs> I think that's, the, the outfit choice is right there. That is the essence of Michael and Laura, uh, Lauren as a couple. It's Michael in his USA attire, Lauren <laughs> in her leopard print. Yes, what a great couple. You know, we've talked like two weeks in a row now um, about the sexiness that's going on on the show. We had sexiest soap hunks, and then the next week we talked about the sexiest soap ladies. Maybe we need to talk about the top, like, three sexiest soaped couples. Who are who are your top three sexy soap couples? Because Michael and Lauren are in my tops. Who else? Let me think. Let me think. I mean, I want to say pick people who are currently on the show because that's what we did with hunks and ladies. But it seems like nobody on the show right now is with the person that they want to be with. <laughs> Who's even together and happy on the show? I mean, Abby and Chance have got a new thing going on. Everybody, I mean, Sharon and Ray, but, you know, I'm not sure. Maybe we should open this one up to all-time sexiest soap couples. I'm probably going to for sure go Michael and Lauren. I'm going to go Nick and Sharon. I need to think about my number three. Who brings the sex appeal? Now and in the past, all time. Who brings the heat? Leave me your top three sexiest soap couples at yrchat.com and we'll look into them next week. Faith is home for the holidays. It really is kind of shocking to see how much she's grown and changed since last year. I just remember her little blonde curls bouncing around on the screen in a backpack, and now she's this very poised young lady. It almost makes me a little bit sad. <laughs> I connected with Sharon when Faith showed back up, and, you know, just realizing how fast time has gone but also feeling so proud and so happy to see how well Faith has turned out in spite of her. <laughs> Everybody knows Sharon has not always been this stable. <laughs> Faith knows it. Even Ray knows it. Ray took an opportunity this week to check in with Sharon to see how her feelings for Adam are going. <laughs> Temperature check. Are you still in love with him at all? <laughs> Sharon denies that. She says that her interactions with Adam are more about helping Connor and also helping to make sure that Connor doesn't set down the same dark path that Adam has. And Ray seemed to buy it. <laughs> But we all know Sharon isn't that hard to sway. Sharon can be a little boy crazy. <laughs> Let's hope that Faith doesn't turn up as boy crazy as her mom was. I thought it was really cute the way that Summer and Mariah shuffled, shuffled Faith off to the patio to talk about boys. I mean, of course, she is at that age. And Summer and Mariah wanted to be good big sisters and give her some support and some advice. But then Mariah couldn't resist the opportunity to take a few jabs at Summer about the fact that she has a bit more experience in the boy department. 
And then, of course, Mariah had to top it off with a warning about one specific boy, Kyle. Why don't you stay away from him? Yeah, I don't know. When Mariah and Summer were questioning Faith about boys, I'm kind of surprised that Mariah didn't say, are you, you know, is there a boy you're interested in? Or a girl? Because remember how Mariah's gay and all? She didn't even acknowledge that. I mean, when talking about romance, she just said that she didn't have as much experience as Summer, but, I mean, I took that to mean dating in, in general. And really, who has had as much experience as Summer? If you are a regular viewer of the video YNR chat, it has probably been driving you crazy, wondering why you can't see me this week. If you're listening to the podcast, you don't notice anything different. I am recording just an audio version with no video this week. And, um, you know, I like to build a little suspense about why that is. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. There's it's the 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 reason I haven't mentioned it is because it is it is incredibly unglamorous. It's not even sympathetic like as if I was sick or something. This is potty training boot camp time at my house. My daughter has just turned 3. She is stubborn and she don't want to do it. I have tried to convince her with all of my uh, my my ability to convince. <laughs> she doesn't listen to reason. I just don't understand. And so it we I, it just we're, we're going to have to go um diaper free. There's just no other way but to, to push her in the pool. <laughs> We are just, she, we're going diaper free. She didn't even, don't even want to get on the toilet. She don't want to look at it. I got all the gear. I got all the stuff. There's no reason that she shouldn't get on it or want to get on it other than that she's stubborn and don't want to. <laughs> so I've had to force the issue. Um, and, and that means I need to be near her. I need to be uh, um, able to get up and run off and clean up the floor. <laughs> At a moment's notice. I'm actually recording this over the span of two days uh, so so that I can, you know, just be available to her is, is the point. So um, I, I'm hoping that it's not going to be like this two weeks in a row. Uh, I took her to the doctor for her three-year checkup, and the doctor said it took two two weeks for her to potty train her son. So um, I'm hoping it's not going to take that long, considering she's a little bit older. And it was the doctor that said, yeah, she's probably not going to want to do it. You just got to force her. So that's what's going on here. That's why you can't see me. What can I say? My daughter is, she is all bull and bluster. <laughs> the kid is stubborn. She don't want to do anything she don't want to do. <laughs> and she knows how to throw a fit. It, I feel like I now know the 
the reasoning behind the term bull and bluster. I think that could easily be used to describe a toddler. But it also was used to describe Theo <laughs> last week. That was our quote. All bull and bluster. Kyle is the one who said it. He was talking to Summer describing Theo's personality. He's all bull and bluster. That was a hard one. Not very many people guessed that, so I have to give some super-duper Christmas week congratulations to Keisha, Henry, Ambreen, and Diana. Wow. Only four winners. Well, maybe this one will be a little bit easier because it's so weird. <laughs> Surely you would have noticed it. Who said, who used the, the phrase, spinning around like a deranged clown? <laughs> this also kind of describes my experience these last couple of days. I'm spinning around like a deranged clown. Who the heck said that? <laughs> If you think you know, you should go to yrchat.com to leave your guess. And if you get it right, then I will give you a virtual cotton candy <laughs> and a shout out uh, for your deranged clown, which is spinning around on next week's YNR Chat. So I did not have a chance to pull together comments for the week in the same manner that I would normally, and I am sorry for that, but I did have a chance to pull together some predictions that were made in 2018 for 2019, the year that we are just now completing. So I thought that I would read out some of our predictions from last year, see what came true, see what didn't. These are just a couple that I cherry-picked. You can still find all of them at the website, but I just thought I'd pull out a couple that came true, a couple that didn't. There were a lot of predictions that Mariah and Tessa would break up. I mean, several people said this because, you know, Mariah and Tessa were not in a great, great place, I don't think, at the end of 2018. But here they are at the end of 2019. We never see them, but they have just celebrated their one-year anniversary. They're very much still together. So there's a prediction that did not come true. Here's one from Tina Cole. Tina Cole predicts that Sharon and Ray will get together and Mia will have a love triangle with Abby and Arturo. Either Mia or Abby will become pregnant with Arturo's baby. One woman will actually become pregnant with Arturo's baby while the other will fake a pregnancy to try to keep him. Ooh, there's a lot in there, Tina Cole. I mean, yes, we did get a Sharon and Ray hookup, and yes, we did get a Mia and Arturo hiccup and er, hiccup <laughs> hookup. And uh, yes, we even got a fake pregnancy. I mean, that's a lot of right in there. Can you believe it? Mm. 
Well, let's see. Colleen, I remember Colleen being right about a lot of things last year. Colleen uh, for this year predicted that Devon would become a drug addict, which didn't come true. But I, I thought it was kind of an interesting prediction because we did see Devon struggle with um, his medication. Uh, he didn't want to take it. And, you know, he, he did not want to get onto the drugs. I think he was worried about how it would make him feel. Um, and he he did. He ultimately did have a moment of, of, of agreeing to take his medication and he did get some counseling. So I think at the, the end of 2018, Devon had really just lost Hillary. And, uh, you know, we were nervous about what that was going to mean for him. So we have that. At the end of 2018, we were also stuck in the JT murder mystery. Robbie had predicted that JT would still be alive and that he would be framing Victor for his death. Yes, and that's true. That is absolutely what happened. At the end of 2018, we, we, it was apparent that JT was dead. All the women were going to go on trial for his murder. And, uh, and, and he popped up out of nowhere with a brain tumor. Boom, 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 done. Yeah, I think uh, I think there were a couple predictions for JT still being alive. I mean, it only took us like eight months to get there, but we got there eventually. <laughs> Diana predicted that Billy and Summer would hook up when Summer returns to Genoa City pregnant. Yeah. Uh, Summer had t taken a break. She was off for a while at the end of 2018. And we were very much abuzz about Summer coming back to town pregnant. She had slept with Billy, uh, or Billy had finally given in to the urge to sleep with her. And she left town for a while. I think the actress was probably filming. And she came back. We all thought she was going to end up pregnant. Leslie also says that Summer will return pregnant. Lola will think that it's Kyle's, and Kyle will agree to pose as the father to help Summer and Billy. Like hiding this, uh, this pregnancy. Oh, we, I think we were talking about this at the end of last year, too. That seemed like a very likely trajectory. Um, Summer did not give birth, though. She instead gave a liver <laughs> to Lola. <laughs> Uh, Tina Cole predicted that we would say goodbye to Dina and um, that the Abbots would come together and find forgiveness for her by the end of 2019. Well, I think we got to the forgiveness part, but we've not got to the goodbye part. I do wonder if Lionar will have that in store for 2020. I believe I also predicted that we would lose Dina in 2019. Lord help me, never thought it would be Neil. Um, but um, I, yeah, I kind of wonder if Weiner is going to dock at that for 2020. Eventually they will. And I wonder how they would do it. I wonder if they would go with an off-screen uh, good death for her or if they would try to play it for some, you know, the drama and the forgiveness and the tears and maybe she would have a a, a deathbed moment. And, you know, as we have said before, maybe John could come and usher her to the other side. That would be very dramatic and very tearful. Oh, I am not looking forward to too many more 
tears. I like the drama, but I could use a few fewer tears. Sandra predicted that Victor would be off the show by 2019's end. <laughs> never. Never. He's never leaving. <laughs> I do notice that Eric Braden sits down in his scenes more and more. I'm sure it's hard to be on your feet all day filming. I do notice that he's sitting quite a bit, maybe moving a little bit slower. Um, oh, I can't even think about it. I'm glad I'm glad that one didn't come true, but that's maybe just me. I don't know. Jamie predicted that Chelsea and Connor would come back home. Um, at the beginning of 2018, Chelsea had left town. Uh, and we, we spent the majority of 2018 without her. But you were right, Jamie, that Chelsea and also Connor returned home in 2019. Zuperplex predicted that Paul Williams would return to the show. And Marianne V says, I also predict that the new head writer um, will bring Doug back as Paul. Yes, we had just gotten uh, word that Mal Young was out at the end of 2018. I mean, it was like the last week of 2018 we found out that Mal had been let go. And it's absolutely true. He did bring back Paul, or, or the new guy, Josh. They did bring back Paul. I think that's wonderful. That kind of takes me to my biggest prediction for 2020, um, which I think I teased a little bit and I was going to include in the year-end affair that unfortunately <laughs> didn't have time to do. But I tell you, my biggest prediction for 2020, I think they are getting ready to destroy Billy's character, can Jason Thompson. I think they want to bring Billy Miller back as Billy. Now, I don't know what all Billy Miller has going on right now, but I know that you can film multiple shows. And, I mean, the Hunter King did it. She was on a full primetime CBS series and still was on The Young and the Restless. When Josh Griffith took over this show, he said that he wanted to bring... He, there's an article about it on Soaps and Death. He wanted to bring back some of the core classic faces that fans would notice. One of the first things that he did was he canned Gina Tognoni as Phyllis and he brought back Michelle Stafford because he believed that the fans would connect more with Michelle Stafford's Phyllis. They would notice her. She has some sort of you know branding that might bring uh, new and o uh, older viewers to the show alike. And I don't think that was well received by the fans. I think that the fans were ticked off that out of nowhere, right in the middle of Gina killing it in the role, that they would snatch that away and put Michelle Stafford back on scene. I think it was a big, big uproar. Uh, but I think that it's was in their plans. I think they want that what they wanted to do was bring back Michelle Stafford as Phyllis and Mich and to bring back Billy Miller as Billy. And I think that maybe they learned a little bit of their lesson from doing it abruptly when uh, Gina was killing it. And I kind of wonder if right now what they're doing is working up a little bit of a disdain for the Billy character so that it don't hurt so bad when they get rid of Jason, who, by the way, is still killing it. Still, this is good acting. Still, this is good TV. 
but I don't see how many of the viewers are going to continue to really, really like and support the character when he's inches away. I mean, really, he's so close to having an affair on Victoria. Nobody wants to see that. Nobody wants to see a woman get cheated on. I think it's very intentional. I think the, the way that Billy has had so much focus over the past year and not in a healthy way, not in a good way, Billy is not getting positive fan attention. I think it's because they want to do away with him for a while and, and, and resurrect him, bring him back as a fresh, new old face as soon as Billy Miller is available. Michelle Stafford said in an interview she wasn't looking to come back to YNR. They wooed her back. I think that's what they're going to do. That's my big prediction for 2020. I also frankly think that they're going to bring Kane back eventually. I feel like Kane's going to be back by the end of the year. I predicted that he would die in 2019. <laughs> it was the writing was on the wall about that character by the end of 2019 that he just wasn't fitting into the landscape. They didn't they weren't trying to fit him into the landscape. I figured they'd kill him for the drama, but instead they just sort of, I don't know, he sort of meandered off. <laughs> I'm wondering if he's going to meander back in 2020. I don't know. We'll have to see. I would love to get your big predictions for 2020. This could be a big year. Hmm. I like specific. I really like when you get specific with your predictions, too. I think you should. Think about what you really think is going to happen to INR overall. Um, you know, in terms of the writing or, you know, whatever the behind the scenes stuff is. But tell me what you think is going to happen with the stories. YRChat.com is, of course, the website. If you want to go there and t take a look at the predictions that we've made in previous years, I think there's maybe four or five other years that we've done this. But most importantly, there's going to be a post there where you can make your predictions for 2020. Now, I'm only going to leave that post up for two weeks because by the time we start getting into 2020, it's just sort of obvious. We're making short-term predictions. I want to know where you think we're going to be in December of 2020. Be bold. Give me what do you get your crystal ball? Let me know what what you think we're headed. And we, after two weeks, we will close up that little time capsule, and then in December 2020, we will dig it back up <laughs> out of the earth, <laughs> and we will find out what was right. And what was wrong? Well, while you are over at the site, please be sure to um, leave your comments about the week of shows. Vote in that poll, that uh, Billy and Amanda poll. Guess the Who Said It quote. You can um, check out all of the comments that are already there. You can also uh, log in. I, I'm going to try uh, to pull together getting some photos of my Christmas goodies that I made. Oh, everything turned out so well. I already mentioned those chocolate chip ginger cookies. Ooh, I love ginger, I guess. <laughs> Those were so good. It, it turned out so well. Um, uh, th that was my number one favorite, but I also have to say the cinnamon rolls were great and easy. Surprisingly, the cinnamon rolls were very, very easy. Loaded with butter. I mean, I'm so disgusted with <laughs> myself for everything. I've eat, I ate all the things that I said I made, but they all it all turned out so 
wonderful. I'm, you know, it makes me so happy just to see other people enjoying it. And those peanut butter uh, cracker sandwiches that I made got like ridiculously rave reviews. People were coming up to me at the parties asking for the recipe, like literally making me Google it so that they could get that recipe and try it. <laughs> Which made me feel good. <laughs> it's nice to have some acknowledgement for your hard work. Oh, I had a very nice Christmas. Very, very nice. And I'm looking forward to having a very nice New Year's too. You know, I got a little New Year's Eve menu planned, which I will be cooking in between, you know, going to the bathroom with my daughter. (laughs) Sometimes you got to take a step backward before you can take a step forward, though. (laughs) My best hope and my best prediction, though, is that she will learn how to get this under control in 2020. Oh, everybody, thank you so much for joining me for another year of YNR Chat. It just means so much to me to know that you're here and you're listening and you're participating. You add so much enjoyment and life and livelihood and um, and just, you know, fun to my YNR viewing experience and also to my life. Um, this is just one of my favorite things that I, I do. I feel so honored to be able to be here to talk about this show that I love so much. We after week, month after month, and coming up on, what, 11 years now? Mm. I think we're going to have great things planned for 2020. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling good about it. <sighs> on to 2020, <laughs> I say. Onward and upward. <sighs> okay, everybody, the next time I see you, we'll be there. It'll be a brand new year. I hope you guys have a really good end of year celebration, and I will see you in 2020. I love you. Bye.